if you were to click your fingers, what hand would you use? So get that hand ready just now. Give us a wave of that hands. Okay, we're going to try out. Ready? One, two, three. Let's try again. Very good. You've always done this before. Okay, let's try again. One, two, three. Once more. One, two, three. Do you know that in the interval of time it took you to go click? You know, lives can change that quick. For better or for worse. History can change just that quick. Positively or negatively. Your life can change. My life can change. You think of the events in Japan in 2010. 2.45 2.45 p.m., everything was fine. Oh, Japan was just experiencing a normal day in Japan, then all of a sudden, help me, just so quick, an earthquake hit, and thousands of people's lives were changed negatively just in an instant. Going back hundreds of years before that, back to 1833, after 23 years of petitioning government to abolish slave labor. William Wilberforce, every year, year after year after year, fighting for justice. And then eventually, on one particular day in Parliament, all of a sudden, the bill was passed. Now, apparently that night, it was the 26th of July, 1833, apparently that night, the slave population, which was estimated to be 800,000 slaves. As the Slavery Abolition Act was passed, that night about 800,000 slaves in the United Kingdom stayed awake till midnight because at 11.59, they were still property. But by 12 o'clock, help me, everything changed and they were free. Just in an instant, things can change. You know, we'd have the technology to do this, but if we did... And if we could take a moment to, on the screen behind me, bring up some of the scenes from your life. And we could choose the three big scenes in your lives where everything changed. Positively, sometimes, maybe some negative moments where things changed for the negative. If we could take those moments, what would be up on the screen? It would make an amazing service, wouldn't it? We'd be here for quite a long time. But we'd see moments, you know those moments in your life where everything changed, either positively or negatively. For some of you, it's the wedding day. It's, It's the day you're standing at the altar... And you said, help me, I do, and you're done. And that was it, that was it. Uh, Some of you, it was the moment your first child was born, right? And there you were, and the the moment child was born, help me. Now, the guys think it took a moment, ladies. You know there's a few more steps involved with that. But that moment was an important moment. Um, Or maybe it was the time when you went to the doctor, and the doctor said, the cancer's gone, changed. You know, I mean, your whole perspective, your hope comes, your, your future's there. Maybe it's the job you've been longing for. You've been really looking for this job. You've been praying for this job and you sit there and, and you have the interview and they say, you're hired. Change life. Everything changed. Maybe it's the moment you got baptized. You take that step, you go under the water, you're coming up. In that moment, you're saying, I'm God's. And follow God. In that moment, your life changes. Um, maybe it's the guys, you got that text from the hot girl you liked. And she said, let's just be friends. <laughs> Give me a click, guys. Bummer. 
Everything changed right there. I remember when I was 15 years old, 37 now, when I was 15, there was a moment where my life just changed. It was to do with my connection with God. I had this experience with God. And he changed my, that was the turning point. It wasn't very dramatic, but I look back and I say, that was the moment everything changed. Sometimes life change moments come ever so simply and yet have such a profound effect. Maybe some of you today, maybe some of you today in this room, before you leave, will have an experience where, help me, you change. Just ever so quickly, just by a shift in your heart, a moment where you connect with God, and like what happened to me when I was 15, you change. And that's so tangible, and that's so real. 2,000 years ago, a lot of things changed for a lot of people. <clears throat> when Jesus was Christ was born, and the shepherds were out there that field, on the fields that night looking after the sheep, then all of a sudden, it's just an ordinary night, then all of a sudden out of the blue, out, out of the black, these, these angels appeared. And uh, they declared the Savior's been born, then they're their existence just changed. They were never the same after that point. <clears throat> you look at how Jesus interacted with different people. He came to that cripple. Uh, it happened numerous times. Cripple. Someone whose legs just were not working. Muscles had wasted away. Bones were misshapen. And he, he says, uh, stand to your feet and pick up your, your bed and walk. And instantly, those, the muscles instantly grew. The bones straightened out and led, legs lengthened in an instantaneous moment a miracle of God, and help me, stood to the feet. That guy was never the same again, and it happened for multitudes of people like that. There was the blind man, met Jesus, and Jesus said, be opened, and he could see. Then instantly, his life was totally turned around, completely changed. And we see the interactions with Jesus Christ constantly through his life, people's lives are being changed. As he died on the cross, which we remember happened, Good Friday happened on a weekend, Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, as he died on that cross and he cried out, it is finished. He was declaring victory at that point. It wasn't defeat, it was victory. It was in that moment, as he said those things, in Jerusalem, the temple, there was a veil in the temple and the veil in the temple was torn into top to bottom. In a, help me, in an instant, there was a transformation took place and that transformation has made it possible ever since then, for people not to be away from God, but because the temple veil's been torn, it means you have access. That barrier, no longer there. You have access because of Jesus. The very presence of God changed everything. And then 2,000 years ago on, on Easter Sunday, there was a moment where, help me, everything changed. Everything changed as the resurrection, as this dead corpse, this body, all of a sudden, came alive. Jesus stood to his feet, resurrected for all eternity, beaten death. You see, the resurrection is so core to what we believe. It's so crucial. It, everything hands on that. You see, it, it's, not his, it's not his life or his teaching. I mean, his teaching it was amazing, absolutely amazing. They're foundational. It's not his, his good deeds or his miracles. That was incredible. It endorsed the teaching. Incredible. But that's not the bit that changes us. That's all it was. We just have another religion. Just someone else who taught some more good things. But it, he was so much more than that. It was his death and his resurrection. It's what he accomplished on his death. You see, if the resurrection hadn't happened, how do we know that what he accomplished in his death actually works? Because he claims 
that the resurrection would happen. And if the resurrection didn't happen, his entire life would have been a flaw. And yet he claimed that the death on the cross would result in forgiveness and salvation and acceptance before God be made available to all peoples because of one death for all peoples. And the resurrection endorsed the claim. So everything changed that weekend 2,000 years ago. What I'm going to do is this. We're going to look at this great resurrection that across the world today over 2 billion people are celebrating. This claim, this resurrection claim that can have a transformation effect in your life. And what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in to a particular moment on the cross where Jesus had an interaction with a criminal. And how that criminal's life, help me, one, two, three, changed just in a moment, in an interaction with Jesus, at the most unlikely point in his life, he found God. And we're going to look at that man's life and then we're going to look at, well, how does that impact us today? So I'm going to read from Luke 23 in the Gospel. Luke, this is Luke describing eyewitnesses' accounts of the actual events around the cross. Verse 20, sorry, 32, it says, Two men, both criminals, were also led out with them to be executed. They came to the place called the skull. That's, you know the word Golgotha or Calvary? It literally means skull. You know, churches call themselves Calvary Church. It's like calling themselves Skull Church. That's a bit kind of for the Goths. Okay, Skull Church. <clears throat> they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. He said, they said, ha, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you are going to have an opportunity like that, like the criminal on the cross, to have that moment where you know, where you have a change in your life and you know that was the day I was heaven bound. That was the day everything changed. In the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to make that response, maybe even publicly, to say, like that criminal, I want to be yours. So who were the criminals? Neither criminal had any idea. I mean, they, I don't know how long they had been waiting their execution for. They might have been days, might have been weeks, might have even been months, but they had no idea who they were going to be crucified besides, because Jesus hadn't been in prison for months. He'd been arrested the night before. He'd gone through three illegal trials. And now he's been crucified. This was a shock. 
Days before, he'd arrived in Jerusalem on a donkey, and everyone was hailing him as the king. Days after, the fickle crowd had turned on him and, hail, and condemned him and cried out, crucify him. It's incredible how things turned around so quickly in that moment, 2,000 years ago. They had no idea they'd be dying beside this famous Jesus. I mean, Jesus was famous. There was no one more famous in that day and age. But look at the different responses from the two criminals. One on Jesus' left, one on Jesus' right. Both criminals were close to Jesus. Both criminals saw the innocence of Jesus. Both criminals saw the same events take place surrounding the cross. Both criminals were suffering exactly the same penalty. Both were dying and both desperately needed forgiveness. But one died hard-hearted, unrepentant, and lost forever. Whereas the other died having humbled himself, softened his heart, turned himself over to Jesus, and entered eternity, and he's still there today. Incredible. Two people, same situation, same opportunity, same observation, same saviour, to entirely different responses, to entirely different destinations. One crowd of people, same saviour, all got free will. Your choices will determine your destinations. Jesus turned to that one who softened his heart and Jesus, he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered to him and said, truly I tell you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. One moment, this criminal was having the worst day of his entire existence. And then help me. The next moment is the best day of his new life and eternity. How things can change just in an instant. What would you have done? If you were, those, if you were one of those criminals dying beside Jesus Christ, what would you have done? How would you have interacted? Here's what I believe. I believe you are that criminal. Now, I'm going I'm to give you a, a tough pill to swallow just now, but bear with me, because sometimes tough pills are helpful. Just bear with me. Let me give you a tough pill to swallow. I believe that you and I are that criminal. Now, we don't like seeing ourselves in that light. We don't like seeing ourselves in a negative light. But the Bible, I believe, is giving us these criminals. I think they're, they're historic figures, but also I think they act as an illustration. I believe they represent the human race. That the human race, before God, stands condemned. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sins and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of you here and me, we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 3, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, verse 3, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's not good news. That's bad news. It says that we were dead, spiritually dead it means, not physically dead, here we are, but we're spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Because that's what sin does. It kills us spiritually. It deadens us to God's. 
that before, before God comes into our lives, we are spiritually dead because of sin. And furthermore, it gets worse. It says, and we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were under God's fury and judgment against sin because he's a holy God. And yet he's also a loving God. So he provides a solution. So that's the condition of our situation. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but it doesn't mean it's not true. I believe we're condemned and sinners before God, just like those criminals were condemned for their crimes. And just like those criminals were divided by Jesus, so too this world is divided by Jesus Christ. Jesus divides the world. You see, the world isn't divided into good people and bad people. The world is divided into bad people and bad people who turn to God. That's the difference. It's not, you've got the good people and the bad people, it's the bad people and the bad people who turn to Jesus. That's as good as it gets, folks. Happy Easter. Hope you've enjoyed today's message. Enjoy your eggs. The most deadly disease in human history was smallpox. Hundreds of millions of people died from it, have died from it. In the 20th century alone, 300 million people in the 20th century died from smallpox. That's more than died from any human conflict or military campaign in all of the 20th century. 300 million. It's almost, just last century, 300 million people. That's almost the population of America. Isn't it incredible? This disease has been the most deadly disease in human history. A vaccine was discovered and made available. Uh, but the mere availability of the vaccine didn't mean that you were instantly protected from smallpox. You had to apply the vaccine. And incredibly, thousands upon thousands of people with the availability of the vaccine never availed themselves of the vaccine and therefore died with the disease. And what I believe took place 2,000 years ago was God was providing the vaccine, the solution, the reversal of the curse, the removal of the issue on the cross. That was the moment where if you engage with that moment today, you, like that criminal on the cross, can help me? Ready? One, two, three. Can have a transformation moment where all of a sudden everything gets better. The cross was God's vaccine. An exchange took place. His pain, your gain. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The issue is sin results in spiritual death. And if you don't get that sorted, you will not only live without God, you will die and live for eternity without God. But God, in contrast, offers us a free gift. How does he do that? Well, he does it by an exchange. Let me illustrate. Way back at the beginning of the 19th century in America, uh, when those log-fired steam trains, uh, locomotives, would travel across the rural areas from village to village, Sometimes that log-fired steam trains, they would send sparks and little things from the log fire itself, and it would start little fires beside the railway tracks. This is quite common. Some of those fires got big, and whole crops and whole areas were devastated because of the fire and the dryness and the heat. On one particular day, there was a farmer, and as he was out 
looking across his land, he saw this wall of fire coming towards him and his property. He kind of gauged the direction of the wind and he realized that he and his property were in line for this inferno. He had to act fast. He knew that if he didn't do something, his barn, his livestock, and his house was going to get obliterated. He knew he couldn't save his crops. So what he did was he went and got, he lit a torch and he went around and he lit his own fires around the perimeter of his property. And having lit his own fires, a ring of fire started encircling his property, which soon burned out. And all of a sudden, he had a ring of about 100 meters wide right around the circumference of his property that was of dead ground, dead grass, blackened earth. And when the fire got to the blackened earth, the fire couldn't go on to that, and therefore it skirted around his property. He was still very devastated. When everything calmed down, he went out and wandered around his property, and he's walking on this uh, blackened earth. This, he'd lost his entire crop. He'd saved his, his animals. He'd saved his property, but he'd lost all his crops. And as he was walking around his property, he came across a carcass of a chicken. This hen had obviously, he figured, you know what, it must have, in the confusion, must have just got caught up, and got caught in the flames and died. He flicked the chicken over, and out from underneath the chicken ran half a dozen little chicks, just ran away. They suddenly realized that this chicken, in that moment, had laid its life down, literally, to rescue her chicks. That's a good illustration of exactly what was happening on the cross. 2,000 years ago, the eternal God, the Creator who made you, who made me, who made this entire universe the almighty, incredible, holy, magnificent, eternal God, in his love for this human race, did something so radical, so radical. He did something personally for you. God took on flesh. He entered into human history, and he died in your place. The essence of sin is you substituting yourself for God. In other words, you take God's place in your life. I am my own God. That's the essence of sin. The essence of salvation is God substituting his self for you. That God took your place on the cross, taking the judgment, taking the wrath, taking the punishment. He was punished so that we'll not be punished. He was condemned so that you don't need to be condemned. He took our place so we could take his place. He became sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what took place in the cross. His pain, your gain. So what's the response? You see, if you were that thief on the cross, if you'd been that criminal, if you'd been that close to Jesus and seen those events unfolding in front of you, if you knew that your life was coming to an end, what would you have done? You are that criminal. I am that criminal. And you know what? It's not like you're a few meters away from Jesus. You're a breath away from Jesus. In fact, your very heartbeat depends on him. He upholds all things by the word of his power. You owe your existence to him. He's closer than a heartbeat, closer than a breath. He's close. So if your answer to your question was, if you were that thief on the cross, if you were that criminal, if the answer to the question was, of course I would have done what he did. If that's your answer, then why don't you do it today? 
because you are just as much in great needs of redemption as that criminal was. You're just as condemned, not by human court, by God's court, as that criminal was. You're just as, you don't know how long your life's going to last. You're just as, your life is so short, just like that criminal. You have great need like that criminal. So if your answer was, if I was that criminal, I would have made that choice, then why not today? Why not today in this room? Why not make that choice? Cross that line. Make that decision. In the little lane in the Glasgow, when I was 15, and I said, here's my life, Lord. Help me. One, two, three. Everything changed in an instant. When this thief, this criminal on the cross just reached out to Jesus, help me. One, two, three. Everything changed in that moment, in an instant. And he just took very simple steps. He took an A, B, C, D step. So I'm going to give it to you that way so you remember it. A, B, C, D. Here's the steps he took. A. A is, means there is something to admit. And this is what he did. It says in Luke 23, 41, he's speaking to the other criminal, said, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. What he's doing here is he's acknowledging I'm a sinner. He is admitting. Say admit. Admitting is a huge step. In 12-step recovery programs, step one is admit you have an issue. You know, there's no hope for anyone who can't come to the point where they say, I am a sinner. Step one, admit. You see, God's order is him first, others second, you last. But what sin does, it distorts that and it makes it the reverse. Whereas you first, you live for self. Others second, if you can be bothered on your good days. And maybe God's occasionally when you're in need and you need someone to help you out. I mean, the thought of living for God's, that's how warped we are. We're sinners. And step one is admitting that you're a sinner. Um, There was a soldier who had been given authority by Napoleon to set a prisoner free. And so he went into the prison that day and he had been given a pardon and he could only give it to one prisoner. So he was going around looking for a worthy prisoner to set free. And as he went from one prisoner to the next, they kept making excuses about why they were in there. One prisoner said, oh, it was the judge, he was bribed, I was unfairly accused. Another prisoner said, I didn't do that crime. The, the jury was warped, they, they had an agenda against me. And one after the other, they gave their excuses about how they weren't guilty And how everyone else was to blame. Until they came to one guy. And that guy said. I'm guilty. I'm in here paying a price for the crimes I've committed. I deserve to be here. And at that point the soldier reached into his coat pocket. And handed him the pardon and says. I need to have you out of this prison. Because I do not want you corrupting all these other good people. (laughs) Truth is step number one is. You need to admit. You need to admit you're a sinner. I can't save myself. I need a savior. Say, admit. So can you admit? Can you admit that you're a sinner? Uh, B, something to believe. Say, believe. Luke 23, 41 and 42. This is, again, the, the criminal speaking. He says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He at this point was putting his faith in Jesus. He was believing that Jesus was innocent. 
He was believing that he was king and had a kingdom. See, to become a believer, to get saved, to have that instant transformation experience, you've got to admit you're a sinner and then be believe. You've got to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the savior. You need to believe that he can save you. Not you can save yourself, but he, dying in that moment, literally it's him saving you. You can't save yourself. Believing is what saves you. Believing that he died and rose again. Can you today believe? It says in Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9, God saved you by his grace when you, help me, believed. Some of you are going to do that. That's not no. Say believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, it's not having belief in yourself to save yourself. It's having belief in him to save you. You can't do anything to save yourself. You're already, you try and, oh, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. You have any idea how heavy your bad deeds are? You've gone way beyond help, way beyond help. We're condemned utterly, but by faith in Jesus who died for us. Not faith in our own behavior, but by faith in his behavior on the cross. That's what saves you. That's what gives you new life. That's what transforms your existence. You know, the amazing thing about that thief on the cross, before he came to Jesus, he had done no good deeds. He was a criminal. In that moment on the cross, he put his faith in Jesus and experienced forgiveness and eternal life. Between then and his death, only a few hours, he could do no good deeds. He physically, I wish he could help someone. He couldn't. He could do zip all. Couldn't help a granny across the roads. Couldn't earn any brownie points. He had done no good deeds. Got saved. Did no good deeds. Entered heaven. You need to understand that your access into eternal life and relationship with God, according to the Bible, you can have your own version if you want, but it doesn't work. According to the Bible, the only way you can experience that is a Savior dying in your place. If you say, I can do it by myself, then what you're saying is that, Jesus, that God the Creator didn't need to do that for you, that huge act on the cross. You can't boast about your own good deeds. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. B means believe. Say believe. Faith is our responsibility. It's our response to his ability to save us. So A is admit you're a sinner. B is believe in the Savior. C is something to consider. Say consider. See, above his head, Jesus had this sign, King of the Jews. With the eyes of faith, you could perceive a crown over that king. Now, I know they put that above his head as a mockery. But the truth is, he is the king. It is the truth. He is the king. And he not only wants to be savior, he wants to be lord of your life. I know we like the idea of, oh yeah, that's cool. I want to go to heaven. Of course I do. I'll believe. Save me, Jesus. We love that idea. Who wouldn't? But he wants to be lord. He wants to be lord. He wants to be king. Problem at the beginning so, so here's, the, here's the thief. He says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was acknowledging, Jesus, you're the king. The problem at the beginning was this. That at the beginning, the human race didn't want God as king. That's what the problem resulted in the earth in the first place. 
The solution comes when we come again and acknowledge that he's king, Lord of our lives. He not only, so consider not only accepting Jesus and believing in Jesus as your savior, but consider letting him be Lord, Lord of your life, Lord of your ambitions, Lord of your sex life, Lord of your relationships, Lord of your money, Lord of your future. Lord of your entire existence. Big ask, eh? Well, I figure he's God. If anyone can ask a big ask, he can. So, okay. I surrender. So consider, if he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Consider letting Jesus be Lord. Okay, D is for something to do. Say, do. You see, the first three have been about what's going on on the inside of you. It's about admitting, I'm a sinner, I need saved. It's about believing in a Savior who died to save you. It's about, see, considering making him Lord of your life. D is do. And do is about, I'm going to live for him now. I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. That not only internally do I agree with him and yield to him, but I'm going to let my life be a follower of Jesus. Are you willing today to do something? I love how this, this story ends. In Luke 23, 42 to 43, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I tell you. Truly, I tell you. You know, can you be sure that when you die, you have eternal life? Can you be sure? Can you be absolutely certain? I mean, could you, if you did what the thief did, that criminal, if you respond to Jesus in that way today, can you be certain that your last breath on this earth <laughs> will be your first breath in the presence of God? Can you be certain? Absolutely. Jesus turned to the criminal and said, truly I say to you, Jesus doesn't lie. And there is a ton of verses that say, if you believe in him, you will not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. He's full of promises. You put your faith in Jesus, you have assurance. Eternal life is yours. Nothing to do with your behavior, everything to do with his behavior. That's good news. That's a promise. That's assurance. And not only, I mean, look, look, the criminal says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't just remember you. What was their name again? All right, no, he doesn't just remember you. You know what he does? Apparently, and I don't know what this is or how it looks, apparently the book of Revelation describes there is a book in eternity in heaven, wherever heaven is, called the book of life and the day that you do that thing that that criminal did your name is written in a book your name your place is guaranteed he doesn't rub that out your name's there you're there you didn't even save yourself in the first place so how can you unsave yourself you didn't find you god found you so has, has he lost you he can't lose you once you're saved you're saved once your name's there it's there for eternity and that's exactly the assurance this criminal died with. He said, 
remember me? Jesus said, truly, truly I say to you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So the agony continued for this thief. The thief was there several more hours on that cross. But even though the agony continued inside, he was a free man. This had gone from being the worst day of his life, help me, to being in an instant the best day of his existence. And he breathed his last on this earth. But I have to assure you that that thief is so alive today. He's so alive today. He's alive in eternity. He's alive because of Jesus. So A, B, C, D. Are you willing, criminals? Are we willing to A, admit you're a sinner? You can't save yourself. You need a savior. Think about it. Are you willing to do that? B, are you willing to believe and trust Jesus to be that savior? Not to save yourself, but to fully trust him to be that savior. C, are you willing to consider letting him not just be savior, but be Lord and King over your entire existence? And D, are you willing to to do something? Give him your life. Become a follower of Jesus from this day forward. Let's pray. So that's the question. That's the question. Are you willing, like that thief on the cross, to make your own response to Jesus just now? Just take a moment to think about that. Then in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to that. It's the biggest decision you can make. It's the best decision you can make. God, I pray as we're in your presence just now, just as those thieves were in your presence at Golgotha, I pray, God, that you would do the same work that you did with that dear thief who in his dying moments cried out to you for help. I pray you'd do that for us criminals here. I ask that you would rescue people. I ask that you would change lives. I ask that you'd transform people. Do what only you can do, I pray. Open people's hearts to you, I ask. In Jesus' name. Okay, so ask yourself, are you willing to admit you're a sinner? Are you willing to believe that Jesus died in your place? Are you willing to consider him as Lord? And are you willing to do something and commit yourself to being his follower? Let's just all pray a prayer of response out loud, just one line at a time before him just now. And this is your opportunity in this moment to make that commitment to him. Just nice and loud, everyone together. Dear Lord God, go on, nice and loud, folks. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are willing to come to the cross. Today, I admit that I am a sinner, that I need a Savior, 
Today I believe that you are that Savior, that your death saves me, that your resurrection makes it real. Today I consider and I decide to let you be Lord over my entire existence. And today I make a commitment to do, to live a life before you, to become your follower, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Okay, let me just pray for you. If you're here today, and you prayed that, and that's the first time in your life you've prayed that prayer. Or maybe for whatever reason, you prayed that in the past, but you haven't really lived it. And today, in his presence, you're making a recommitment. So whether that's the first time you've prayed that, or that's you in his presence just now, making a recommitment. And I want you just right now, just while everyone's praying, just to stand before him just now. Just go for it. That's you, and you're making that decision. Just stand. I'll just wait while people do that. Biggest and best decision you could ever make. Thank you. Thank you. That's your decision, then stand. Thank you. Anyone else? I know there is. Thank you. Did it for you. He went public for you. He died on that cross. He did everything to save you. In this moment, if you're saying, Peter, that's me, then you just stand, join these folks who are standing, then I want to pray for you. So anyone like that, just one last time, you've made that decision to say, saying, Peter, today I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm committing myself to him. Then just you stand. Okay, Father, thank you for these three precious people today. And there may be more, but these three who today were courageous enough just to take the stands Four people, in fact, God. Thank you for them. As they've done this, Lord God, it's a representation that in their hearts they're saying, Jesus, be everything to me. Now, God, by your Holy Spirit, fill them with your power. Let them know your love and acceptance. Let this be the beginning of a new life for them from this day forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.